It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Each month, over 80,000 people download podcasts produced from the fevered mind of Royfield Brown. They cover a gamut of topics, like maps, politics, American presidents, history, the archers, Formula One, Jamaican culture, and Englishness. Go to wherever you get your podcast and type in Royfield Brown to discover a new favorite podcast today. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Brexit means Brexit. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Hello and welcome, this is Mid-Atlantic, the programme where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. I'm Royfield Brown, who's back in the East Bay. I'm back in California after being away for some five months. Been in Europe. Goodness, what a summer I've had travelling around and of course being in the land of my birth, England. But one thing which does connect... Well, there's many things which connect the US and the UK and dare I say the world is social media and the fact that it is the fuel for culture wars. But when it comes to the type of content which is posted on social media, lawmakers on both sides of the aisle in the US agree that Congress needs to act. But the bipartisan accord doesn't extend much further than that. Democratic politicians want more than just content moderation and Republican politicians want less. So today we have Adam Kavakovich, who's somewhat of a sage when it comes to online, and we're going to prod and poke him when it comes to when it comes to online safety in America. Adam, tell us about the organisation that you work for, and welcome to Mid Atlantic. Sure. Well, about a year and a half ago, I started a new organisation called Chamber of Progress, and it was really kind of an outgrowth of everything I've done. I've spent my career at the intersection of democratic politics, working on Capitol Hill and congressional campaigns. And the tech industry I spent a dozen years in Google's Washington office, worked two years for Lime, which is one of the scooter companies, and was interested in helping democratic policymakers at the federal, state, and local level chart kind of their 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 path on tech regulation in a way that 
kind of captures, you know, preserves what's good about technology while also trying to minimize its excesses and abuses. And so kind of, I think, swung from some Democrats swung from a very almost flattering posture towards tech towards an extremely negative one. And I don't I don't actually think that's where most voters are. So we're, we're trying to kind of correct that a little bit. Where exactly are most voters? I I think people are somewhat kind of slightly ambivalent about the, the dangers of, of online, specifically social media. What does the data tell us? What do the polls tell us? Where is the American public when it comes to online? I think it's a nuanced picture, like most polls. When it comes to social media, I think that, you know, the pandemic undoubtedly was a moment where people felt Social media played a really valuable role in keeping us connected to each other, right? People were doing Zoom cocktail parties and people were posting on, and even teenagers, you know, who are at their most social part of their lives, you know, really relied on things like Instagram to stay connected to each other. And that was valuable. At the same time, like anything, it can be abused. It can be, there are bad actors on there. And, and I think, you know, particularly with respect to kids, a lot of parents struggle with what's the right usage and rules around social media and online services. But, you know, I think that there was particularly last year, a lot of media discussion about Facebook, because a lot of the revelations in the Wall Street Journal and other outlets about their practices, and it did kind of taking that conversation about social media to another direction. But I don't, I don't think there's a lot of unanimity about what should be done in response to that. You see even seen since a lot of those stories were published that TikTok is starting to kind of eclipse Facebook in some ways. They are totally, you know, new and different kind of service. So so I think people's approach to these services are mixed. You know, they they generally appreciate what they the benefits they bring. But, you know, understanding that there can be some downsides if they're not properly controlled and regulated. Is it in the United States, is it just as simple as a Democratic politicians want more moderation and Republicans want less? Is it just as simple as that? I think it's pretty close to what you describe. I mean, I think the fact is like we now have I think there's an argument, for example, that a lot of our political debate right now is taken up by what some people call kind of post-material topics, right? Which is to say, less of our political debate is about taxes and government programs and, you know, the, the kind of the, the, fin- the financial fiscal role of government. And a lot more of it is about culture, right? And, and, and I think there's an argument that a lot of that cultural debate between the parties is in part about kind of who will control things, right? I mean, I think some, a, a strain of, you know, you see kind of a strain on the on the Democratic side of saying, well, you know, we may not, you know, dominate in sort of red states, for example, but we can bring the power of companies, you know, to, to bear in some of these states. Whereas I think many Republicans would say that, you know, companies are pushing a kind of a liberal agenda on conservative parts of the, of the country. And so, so much of our political debate is kind of preoccupied with this question about culture and cultural power and who gets to decide on things like speech. And, you know, it's interesting because I think on one level, you know, companies in my area, sort of government relations, public policy, companies have historically tried to kind of influence government policy. But a lot of what you see now is government policymakers trying to influence company policy, right? trying to influence how the companies themselves 
allow or disallow certain types of content. And it's just really fascinating dynamic. Mm. I think it's a really interesting position for us in in the UK because we do have these conversations, but they're not as vociferous as they are within the United States. We The UK government published a bill called the Online Safety Bill in May 2021, which aims to tackle harmful content by placing a duty of care on online platforms. To me, that sounds like the least that these platforms should do. And people do get arrested for citing that they want to murder people online or that they have some of the racial abuse element. People have been arrested and had short custodial sentences within the UK. And as I said, I can't say that there is no debate about that in the UK, but people see it as well. You have a personal responsibility and also the platforms have a wider societal responsibility you know, you've, you've said it yourself that this is really firing the real difference between right and left at the moment. How online is perceived, control, freedom of speech, freedom of expression and responsibility. One side sees that you should be responsible. The other side says I should be able to do whatever I want and wherever the chips land is wherever they land. Does this really go to, to, the, to the very core of, of, of being American? Because I said in Britain... A conservative government, I didn't wasn't explicit with that, a conservative government has brought in this law. Throughout Europe, there's many more strictures around platforms and individual behaviours. Is this fundamentally the age-old American debate about where exactly freedom of speech starts and ends and the government starts and ends just being played out in social media? Yeah, I think there's two important differences between the US and the UK when it comes to technology regulation. One is there's no First Amendment in the UK. And and of course, the other is that much of the UK's technology regulation has been trying to encourage best practices. And by the way, a lot of that is very successful. We don't, here in the US, we don't tend to do that kind of regulation because policymakers here often then insist on attaching legal liability to, you know, to, to the same kind of laws, and the UK generally doesn't do that as much, right? And so we have a much more litigious society here in the United States and and much more liability surrounding our laws. So I think it, it creates more issues. But yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, look, I, I think fundamentally, most people, and, we, and we've done polling on this, want their kind of online communities, be it, you know, Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or YouTube or whatever, to be what I call healthy, which is to say kind of free of extremism, free of, you know, anti-Semitism, hoaxes, etc. Because, you know, if you don't police that stuff, your service can kind of quickly be overrun. And there's plenty of places you can go for that. If that's what you want, you can go to 4chan, you can go to the dark web, like that exists out there, right? But that's not what most people want, right? And so, you know, most people want platforms to engage in content moderation and want platforms to act responsibly. Now, I think there is this kind of growing alternative strain here in the U.S. of people mostly on the right who kind of feel like the big platforms are are denying them the ability to, you know, say that Donald Trump won the 2020 election, to say that vaccines are terrible, to say that transgender kids are you know, terrible. And, you know, you have these alternative platforms like Truth Social and Parler and Getter that are kind of catering to that. And they're not big. I don't think there's a huge demand for it, but they do exist. 
And, you know, at the same time, the big platforms, I think, have found that in their interest to to moderate content. That's what most people want. Mm. I've never quite understood this, is that people on the right side of the aisle in the United States talk about freedom of speech and lionize companies and capitalism and entrepreneurial spirit. But then in this specific interest, in this specific area, sorry, where it's not actually truly the public space. You know, Twitter is owned by Twitter. You know, Meta own Instagram. They seem to want to be telling these private companies how they should be running their platforms. And surely there's a massive contradiction there. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, you put your finger on the heart of kind of one of the essential contradictions and conflicts in within the right right now, which is that for years, for decades, the Republican Party promoted the rights of companies, including their free speech rights, right? I mean, the, you know, Mitt Romney, former Republican presidential candidate, said corporations are people, right? You had Republican justices on the Supreme Court, you know, write the decisions in things like campaign finance cases or in the Hobby Lobby case and the, the bakery that, <clears throat> you know, declined to serve a gay wedding. All these cases essentially have affirmed companies' own free speech rights, right? And that's been the the trend line. And now that companies are, in this case, tech platforms exercising those free speech rights to say, we don't want anti-Semitism on our platform. We don't want doxing on our platform. (laughs) Some on the right are saying, no, 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 you're actually a public utility. You 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 have to allow all of that speech. And that's directly in contradiction to you know, where a lot of the conservative thinking has been on this topic. And I think that's why, you know, there's there's two cases, two laws that are similar passed by the states of Texas and Florida last year that essentially ban big platforms from doing content moderation. And I'm optimistic that when those get to the Supreme Court, which they are, they're on their way there, that you'll have a coalition of you know, tra- what I call traditional Republican justices al- aligning with most of, with all of the, I think the Democratic appointee- appointees, essentially reaffirming platforms' right to engage in content moderation under the First Amendment. But you will have this, you know, other group of justices, probably Justice Justice Thomas, and a couple of others who will say that no, 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 the you know the online platforms are more like state actors, and uh, or or you know, and, and they don't have full free speech rights, and that'll be again a, a shift from where the conservatives have been historically. We are what it's October the eighteenth, so we're what three weeks away from 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 the midterms. We have briefly at the start talked about the issues which you think that voters kind of care about, but will voters prioritize tech as any meaningful issue when it comes to the midterms in twenty twenty two? Do you think? No. And, you know, it'd be tempting for me leading a technology issues organization to argue that they are, but they're not. And we just know this. We've done many surveys, including we did a survey most recently in about five swing states, Nevada, Georgia, Arizona, New Hampshire, and Colorado. And 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 we asked voters, you know, what are the top things on your mind? And it's not surprising. Most people say inflation. Most people say the economy. Some people say reproductive rights. In all of the surveys, in all the states, technology policy issues fell at the bottom of the list. And I think that, you know, there is, I I think there's a massive gap. You know, if you look at, for example, there's a a great survey every year called the 
American Customer Satisfaction Index. It's run by, I think, the University of Michigan. And they ask consumers about all of these companies and services every year, just basically how satisfied you are from, you know, American Airlines to Coca-Cola. And, you know, every year, the big technology companies rate in the top 10, right, in terms of satisfaction. Amazon, Apple, Google, the top of the list, right? People are pretty happy with these services. They're not marching on Washington demand change. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't have some anxiety. There isn't some anxiety about the power, the economic power, the political power of big technology services. I think, you know, most people have anxiety about big things and they there is some concern, but it's nowhere near the level of sort of, you know, demanding that policymakers take take action. And there's certainly no agreement about what action to take. Do you think that'll be the case in 10 years time? Because one of the things which I think is only slowly coming into our consciousness is how rising levels of mental health distress are being fueled by online. It isn't just the political rancor, which seems to be ignited by online. And the anonymity... And the anonymity yeah. that people have so they can say things which would never dream to say to someone's face. But, it, well, but it, you know, specifically, you know, with, with teenage girls it is, the, is the classic example that as, as connected as, as they all feel, they all feel much more lonely, have much more body, body issues because of things like, like Instagram. I think in 10 years time, this will be at the forefront of, of voters' minds, both sides of the Atlantic. Yeah, I think that, I mean, you, so I'll just pick apart a couple of things you, you said there. So so one is, I mean, I think one challenge is that we, we in this country, we have a First Amendment. And so the, the companies have their own speech rights, right? And I do think that anytime a government body starts regulating, say, the design of a service, it's it risks running afoul of, frankly, the service's constitutional rights to design their platform how they see fit. <clears throat> and, you know, in, 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 you know, while you might have, you know, it, it's the same principle that you know prefer, for, forbids the federal government from intervening in the editorial judgments of the New York Times or Fox News, right? I don't think it's really that different. Now, having said that, I think that there are very legitimate questions, for example, about like what does healthy use of social media look like? And if you look at a service like Instagram, you know they they are, I think, well aware of uh, how people are using their services, teenagers. And they, a lot of the research that was published last year through leaks showed that while peop, most people are having a positive experience, teenagers on their service, some are not. And so I think, frankly, one of the things you've seen since a lot of those revelations is that Instagram has rolled out a bunch of new tools to detect, for example, when someone's engaging in self-harm, looking for suicide information, and can hopefully flag positive information, flag a hotline, flag, you know, like, like put better information in front of them. And, you know, when you really think about it, like it's kind of an Instagram's interest to do that because if people are like time and again, having a really negative experience with their service, people are just going to stop coming back, right? They're going to not like the way that that service makes them feel and they're stopped coming back. So I do think there's an incentive for, for, for them to design it well. But your question about like technology regulation will be in 10 years. I think that right now we are, I think there we're heading towards a future where technology will be regulated like we regulate every other industry, which is to say we wait for those moments where it's very clear that there's some kind of market failure or consumer pain point that's not being solved. And 
we have a lot of unanimity about what the solution should be. So I kind of, I, I, I analogized many years ago, 2008, 2009, there was a summer where a bunch of people got on commercial airline flights and they sat on airplane, airport tarmacs for like five hours, six hours, and and no snacks, no bathrooms or anything. It was a terrible experience. And there were no protections in place for them. And all of those unhappy flyers put pressure on Congress. And Congress said to the FAA, you have to do something about this. And they implemented what's called the three-hour rule, which says a plane can't sit on the tarmac for more than three hours. It applied to every airline, big, small, in between. And it worked. Like, over, almost overnight, it addressed this problem. Right? To me, that is an example of a very successful regulation. Right? It wasn't overdoing. It was targeting the problem. And it was in response to something that was a clear pain point for consumers. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Most of the ideas that are being discussed in tech policy right now aren't like that. We were kind of over, you know, I, I think a lot of politicians sort of say, well, we were too nice to the tech industry for too long. We basically kind of let them get away with everything. And now we're going to crack down. And I just like that to me is not the ideal way to regulate. The ideal regulate is say, OK, what is the problem that we're trying to solve as opposed to re I think right now they're kind of almost overreacting to this sense that they were too nice as opposed to being driven by the problem to solve. Does that make sense? No, it, it absolutely does. But I, I think you're letting tech get away a little bit too much with this. And I, that's a great example that you used. But surely the problem is, is that the content business model is all about engagement and deepening engagement and getting people to return. And, and it has... Two very obvious for me deleterious effects. Number one, society is increasingly becoming one where everyone's in their silos. Now, because we're engaging whatever our peccadillo or our interest is, and it just keeps on going. And it's in the interest of the tech companies and, and the algorithms to keep on feeding us more of the same thing. And that thing doesn't necessarily have to be something which is antisocial. And and I, I, I think that is really truly the the main thing and 
And, and it's one thing if we are adults with fully formed brains and we are supposed to then have the societal and the mental fortitude to realize that we're becoming obsessed with something. But it's another thing when that brain is still being formed. So if you have a content model which is all about engagement, it is going to keep on subtly upping the ante all the time, isn't it? Well, I think that this is, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I think this debate is kind of playing out in front of us right now because of the success of TikTok, which is a totally different service than Instagram or Facebook. You know, historically, like Facebook went through times where what it prioritized in the newsfeed was like your friend's content. Like if it knew that somebody was a close friend or a family member, it would prioritize that because that would, you know, that would make people feel better. And, you know, and then at other times it started prioritizing posts that sort of did well, right? So like maybe a political posting from one of your friends who that got a lot of engagement and they kind of would see the effects of that. TikTok, you know, is less about kind of who you're, you know, it's, it's serving up content to you and it's less, it's really much less about kind of what your, your friends are doing and interested in. And so I think these are all valid models. I mean, I, you know, look, three kids under the age of 11, I kind of, you know, I, w- I want to raise them to be sort of informed digital consumers so that, you know, even if they're using one of these services, they kind of know what's going on. They, they know what the service is trying to do. But I, I, there's no doubt that like raising kind of digital, digitally literate and social media literate kids who can, you know, kind of have a sense for what's happening and, and then, you know, not be kind of subject to it, that they're, that they're really in control. Like, I mean, I, I think technology works best when it's, when it's, when, when it's serving us, not us serving it. And it, it, it may not always be the case. Like, so I, I think you're, you're, you're correct. There's some interesting work, for example, done by a group called Center for Humane Technology, Tristan Harris's group that focuses a lot on this question of like design. How do you, you know, what's kind of ethical design for a service for social media? And I think they're examining a lot of worthy questions. Coming back more to US domestic politics, email is, I think we'd see it as a utility now. But yes, it comes through a commercial company. And a lot of us get our email through Google, Gmail. And it's a wonderful service because it farms out spam. You know, it puts that spam in another folder for us. So it keeps our primary email list pretty clean. Uh, But one of the things that she does uh, filter out is people who are trying to hit us for money, you know, those kind of scams. But also it can legitimately put fundraising in there as well. Do the Republicans have a legitimate issue with Gmail? Because it says, you know, our emails go into spam. This is all, you know, lefty liberal bias, blah, blah, blah. How such a thing come about? And then how can Republicans... And then people who want their primary email section free of spam be happy. I don't think the Republicans have a legitimate claim here. I think they were they have willfully misrepresented this study by the I think it was a university academic in North Carolina about Gmail filtering. The reality is that most people value Gmail's spam filters for exactly this reason. It filters out spam, and this effort by the Republicans to kind of put pressure on Gmail, I think was extremely cynical, extremely partisan. It was, in my view, manufactured by a firm called Targeted Victory, 
which is the leading outside consulting firm or online fundraising firm for Republicans. Their whole business model depends on spamming people multiple times a day. And Google decided to kind of concede to this. I don't think they should have, but they did concede and they and they came forward and they said, look, we're going to offer a, a compromise here, which is that we'll give political campaigns the chance to essentially bypass Gmail spam filters if you can pledge that you are going to abide by best practices, which is to respect, you know, show clear unsubscribe buttons and respect that. And there was a story last week that the Republican National Committee hasn't even signed up for this after despite all their complaints. I don't think they're really interested in in solving this problem. I think they just want to raise more money online. M- moving on, there's been a lot of controversy around Twitter. Obviously, there is Elon Musk wanting to buy Twitter, don't buy Twitter, going to buy Twitter again, Trump being taken off the platform. The right seems to say that social media, Twitter and Facebook is uh, most definitely biased against them. Is there any evidence for this, any empirical, independent, verifiable data which we can say categorically right-leaning politicians, individuals suffer at the hands of Twitter and Facebook? Yeah, I think the way I would say this is that all of the platforms start with a traditional, you know, Western, small L liberal commitment to freedom of expression. They all want their platforms to be used for, you know, a variety of, uh, to express a variety of views. But I think one of the things that has been, you know, a, a really unprecedented challenge was the Trump era, right? We've never in this country had a president that was just blatantly lying as much, fomenting, you know, fomenting insurrection. And so it it challenged the policies of these companies hugely, right? So for example, Twitter generally had a view that, you know, polit- political leaders who've been democratically elected should be able to tweet whatever they want. There's a public interest in that, right? But then January 6th happened and you know it's a it was it was a moment for Twitter and Facebook a really hard moment because they said look like we believe elected officials should be able to use our platform to for to express themselves and be in touch with their voters but do we really want to be a vehicle for fomenting insurrection and they both said no and so i do think it's like we're, I, I don't think if you go on to Facebook and say, you know, taxes ought to be lower or Biden's an idiot or whatever, like you'll be able to say that. That's not a problem. Right. Nobody's censoring your speech. But if you start spouting off anti-Semitism or, you know, or if you lo- start looking like a Russian troll farm, like, yeah, they're probably going to take action against you, right? And so I think part of it is that, frankly, the right has shifted this window of of speech in a more extreme direction. But I will say that, you know, they now also have Truth Social, Getter, Parler. You know, they're talking to each other on these sites, I think in part because many of them have been kicked off of Twitter and Facebook. That's fine, you know, and I think in some ways we're going to see more of that. That's, a, that's analogous to what the right did with Fox News, they complained for years about the mainstream media biasing against the right and then went off and created Fox News and it's been a massive success. So I think that the same thing will happen in social networking and it will relieve some of this kind of re- ridiculous, in my view, pressure from the right to, you know, to, to not moderate content. 
And interesting that you've used the, the model of Fox within traditional media, TV, and then to stand that up against social media. And very obviously TV is a much more mature media. TV's been around since the 1920s, so just about 100 years old. It's been some level of broad, broadcast TV. And uh, social media, as we understand it, is maybe 20 years old, if that. One of the problems that, that, that I foresee, at least I worry about, is something we, we talk about at, at the end of every Mid-Atlantic, is the demonization of people that don't agree with you. You know, Obviously, there are hard limits to it. You know, anti-Semitism, as you said, fascism, intolerance, which are based around someone's gender or colour, something is immutable, somebody can't change, etc. But fundamentally, most people should be able to meet in, in the common space. I worry from a societal point of view, and I have mentioned this before, so I'm going round and round in circles, about the, I use the word ghettoizing, I think I can use it in this, this regard, the ghettoizing of having fundamentally commons social media so i'm not on about if you've got some weird kinky fetish and you want to talk to people that have that weird kinky fetish good luck to you or if you are a cleveland browns fan as i am and maybe there's cleveland Browns social media maybe right so that, that that's different but where people are talking about the main business of the day to have that cleaved off and divided off because the echo chambers are incredibly dangerous and corrosive for the social good and I hope we don't get to a, to a, to a, to a phase where we have left-leaning social media, which has hundreds of millions of thousands of people on it, then right social media, which has hundreds of millions of thousands of people on it, because it makes the business of getting on and understanding your neighbours all the more harder. We'll have no empathy for us. So in, in, in the one hand, there is a great utility, a social utility in most people, most of the time, being on the same thing. But then what that does, what that gives commercial companies in terms of power over us is frightening. Look, I, I am very, I, I agree with a lot of your critique. I think that we have lost a common language. We've lost the ability to treat our, our neighbor with respect. Even if we disagree, we've lost a lot of opportunity to interact with people who aren't like us. There's There's been a lot written about kind of the, the there was a great book called The Big Sort about how we sorted ourselves geographically now. It's so much so that, you know, most people based on where they live rarely come in contact with a member of the opposite political party. That's just a reality of life in America today. And I don't think that's good for, for America. I don't think it's good for our society. I don't think it's good for humanity. I don't think it's good for any of those things. Um, but I also don't, I, I also want to be realistic that we're going to get the social media that we deserve, that people want, right? And I do think that, you know, you can look at, you can look back nostalgically at the kind of the, the, the 1980s and 90s when we kind of had, you know, if you wanted news, you had to get it from one of the three broadcast networks. And we had more unanimity. But I think there also were stories that were being ignored. There were voices that were being ignored. There were people in the minorities of minority of society who were feeling, le you know, left out and neglected. And now, you know, thanks to technology, a lot of people can find their community, find their people online, right? And that's, you know, and that's and that's great. But as you say, the downside is that people create these kind of bubbles for themselves. I just don't know. I, I, I'd like to think that there will be 
a way for people to, who, you know, to, to people that people still want that, right? I mean, I think Twitter, for example, is probably the closest we have to that today. And I, I hope that Twitter remains that. But, you know, but it's also like, you don't have, Twitter's not going to let you say whatever the heck you want to, if you know, on, on Twitter, right? That's not their job. And so there are always going to be some guardrails to what's allowed there. People, the, the success of a project like that kind of depends on the goodwill and and you know frankly harmony of the people of the citizens you and me who are who are posting and uh, whether we want to whether we want to you know speak within some guardrails and whether we want to listen to each other even if their views are different mm. um j- just to start to, to to wrap up what is the future for your organization tell us about the the tentacles that you have out with policymakers and with politicians and, and how you're helping to influence and to drive the debate around these issues? Well, I think the thing we're most interested in is how going forward do you make sure that technology regulation sort of captures and promotes what's good about innovation, what's good about technology, while also preventing the bad, the downside, the abuses, the excesses. And that's what we'll, you know, we're we're really focused on everywhere from, you know, promoting autonomous vehicle regulation, right, to promoting content moderation, trying to protect that healthy online communities, to making sure that, you know, more people can benefit from the uh, from technology, even if they don't live in Silicon Valley or the coasts, right? All those things are really important. So, you know, I think that we're 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 technology optimists. We're generally positive about the role that technology can play in improving people's lives could because it has played a huge role in improving people's lives. But you also want to be cognizant of the ways that it might be abused. And I don't think you want to be naive, you know, naive about that. But sometimes I you, you see policymakers kind of saying, "Well, because this thing can be abu- can be abused, it should be banned." I'm really excited about delivery drones delivering packages to my house, right? But people say, well, I worry about the noise. And yeah, there'll be there'll be these things we have to make sure are regulated. But we should say yes, and here's the rule, right? Here's the noise rule or the, the airspace rule, whatever the rule may be, right? So I think like saying generally yes to new things, but also and here's the guardrail we're putting in play. So Adam uh, Kovakovic from the Chamber of Progress, if people want to catch up with you and, and your organization's good works, how can they do that? We're at progresschamber.org online and Progress Chamber on Twitter. And I'm at Adam Kovac on Twitter. There, there you go, good people. It's some, somewhat of a thought-provoking conversation. Not our normal format. There was no live audience. We did this. Uh, we didn't do this on Clubhouse. But uh, I say this every time. If you are listening to to the podcast at home, and there's a good few thousand of you downloaded every, every time we put out an episode. Why don't you do a couple of things? First off, go onto Apple iTunes. Crumbs, I'm showing my age. Apple Podcasts. Go into Apple Podcasts and write us a review. If you think we deserve five stars, give us five stars. But be truthful with your review. And the other thing is, go and download the Clubhouse app because mostly we, we record our interviews with our interviewees actually on that platform. And it means that you can be in the audience when we when we go live with these recordings. And it means that you can then ask a question of the good, the great, or interesting send me an email royfield at gmail.com and you know what i will respond let me know if you think i'm doing a terrible job and and possibly where i can 
do a better one and how we do a better one. And I, I don't mind pointed criticism. Don't forget, left of centre politics is always right thinking politics, but we don't demonise our right leaning brothers and sisters. We try and win them over with the strength of our argument because we want to meet in the common space. And some of the themes we touched on that in our interview with Adam here, that the common space is incredibly important and it's going to be even more important going further as we become much more in our silos. How do we reach out to others? How do we build empathy? How do we still have understanding with our fellow citizens if we're only ever going to speak to people who uh, sound and look like us? Adam, thank you for coming on to Mid-Atlantic. Thank you. There you go, folks. That's been your Mid-Atlantic. You know what you need to do. Take care. Look after yourselves. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.